Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in again. If you have not hit the subscribe button, make sure that you go ahead and do that. You do not want to miss some of the awesome content that we have flowing on this stream. All right, if you guys are tuning in for the first time, this might be a little bit of a heavy topic. I definitely recommend that you go back a few episodes and just kind of catch up on some of the easier ones on you know, how to get it started in real estate investing or how to invest in real estate as a family, whatnot. Uh, but this topic is going to be amazing. And this episode is awesome. We've got um, an awesome guest today. and He's going to talk to us about one of the more advanced tax topics that comes up when you start talking about multiple investments or when you start talking about bigger investments such as multifamily, all right? So make sure that you have your notepad because there's a lot of awesome content that you're going to get from this one particular show. And also make sure that you reach out to Yona because him and his team are doing awesome things out there and I cannot wait to introduce him. So without further ado, let's kick it. Hey, hey, Freedom Fighters, welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast, the only place where military members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. I'm your host, Mike Foster, and I'm here to show you how to stop wasting your benefits. Now get off your ass, step up to the firing line, and make ready for today's lesson. Shooter, stand by. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. We have an amazing guest here with us. His name is Yona Weiss from Madison Specs. How are you doing, Yona? I am doing amazing this morning. Thanks so much, Mike, for, for taking the time and having me on the show. Thank you so much for coming on to our show. We really appreciate uh, you know your expertise. Uh, Yona is going to teach us all about cost segregation. He's an absolute expert at it. And he's helped hundreds of people out there, and we're super excited to have you here, uh, Yona, because we know that you're uh, that you're an expert here with us. Um, but before we get into the cost segregation stuff, do you mind just giving us a little background on where you're from and kind of how you got started? Sure, absolutely. My pleasure, Mike. Um, so really, my background is in education and teaching. I spent many years uh, teaching various levels, all the way from you know. Uh, um, elementary school all the way up to um, to college college level. So, but recently got involved in real estate uh, about four years ago when I wanted to learn everything there was to know about real estate. I just kind of jumped in and got a real estate broker's license. Was involved in commercial mortgages and you know some other things. So, I uh, got involved in a few fix and flips out in New Jersey with a with a partner and. You know, most recently I've been involved in, um, you know, on the service end doing cost segregation. This has really taught me a tremendous amount about real estate in general, having, you know, speaking with and following, you know, real estate investors actively investors over the past couple of years. They just have tremendous amount of education on that side. And I'm, you know, hopefully getting back involved into the multifamily investing shortly. Wow. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So a lot of different, uh, different experience throughout real yeah. estate. Sure. Um, totally. so, so you've definitely seen it. And I mean, and from the cost segregation standpoint, which we're going to get into in a little bit, 
um, I think that's very valuable because you've seen all the different types of investments. So you know how it kind of breaks down. Um, so, so can we, can we um, just guess, go right into it then? Like what exactly is cost segregation? <laughs> Let's just right. throw it out there. Right. It's a, it's a dirty word, right? It's like, what is this thing? Right. right. And that's really, people get me all the time. Like, what is this? Why is it called? What's such a strange name? And it's really, if you think about it, it is such a strange name. It used to be called component depreciation, right? Which makes sense. I mean, that's really what it is. Yeah, it's it allowing you to depreciate a building instead of over a straight line period, which we'll define in a moment, is breaking it up into compartments or into components or into, you know, segregating out those costs. So just to jumpstart into what is the background what is depreciation? And it all comes down to anyone who owns real estate, um, besides your personal residence, if it's a business property or an investment property or investing, you are allowed, the IRS gives you a deduction from your income tax, right? Not property tax, very important. A lot of people think, oh, tax, tax savings. No, it's not property tax, it's income tax savings. You get a deduction called depreciation, right? Which is basically the IRS saying that your property value from the day you buy it has a lifespan. Right. Okay. So from the day you buy that property or place it in service, officially how it's called, um, so it can make it, it's only when you start putting residents in there is when it's placed in service. But normally speaking, you're buying a property that's up and going, right? Up and running. That price of purchase is your basis. That's called what your depreciation is. So the IRS says, hey, that property only has a life of 27 and a half years for residential multifamily properties. And for commercial properties, it has a life. It has a valuable life of 39 years. I guess commercial properties are like older or something than, you know, they have, uh, they, they, they live longer, right? Mm-hmm. They live longer Definitely than multifamily. Right. I don't know. Yeah, right. They got like some, uh, you know, the, a fountain of youth or something like that, right? <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I don't know what's up with those arbitrary numbers, but think about it like this, right? We know everything wear and tear, right? Things go down in value as time goes on. So they just give you basically what's called like a tax benefit uh, based on that original purchase price. So depreciation works like this simple, straight, what's called straight line depreciation, which everyone does before we get into cost segregation, which is like, as a friend of mine likes to say, it's like depreciation on steroids, right? <laughs> <laughs> like cost segregation is depreciation. You can probably tweet that, right? <laughs> right, right. Like cost segregation is depreciation on steroids. What it means, depreciation in general, it's like this. You take the purchase price of the property. Um, it doesn't have to do with the actual value. You, even if it's made, you know, really undervalued, but you're, you're buying at a replacement value, it doesn't matter what that purchase price is, establishes that value is subtract a certain amount for land. Land does not depreciate. And, you know, something that's 10%, 15%, 20%, whatever it is, then you're left over with whatever is called the property value. That's your depreciable basis. You split that up over 27 and a half years or 39 years for commercial, and that's your deduction every single year. Okay, it's straightforward, right? If you have a million-dollar property, it turns out through the math, your deduction is about... $30,000 a year off of your income tax, which lowers your tax liability, right? Right. So if you make $100,000 on the property, right, that you bought for a million dollars, it's like making, you know, good returns. Your net income, your net operating income is $100,000, right? It's pretty good returns. Um, 
you're going to take off right off the bat $30,000 from that. And you're only going to get taxed on the remaining 70. So that's what depreciation is. Comes in cost segregation, which is depreciation on steroids, basically. And, and the IRS says, not just the building depreciates, okay? There's actually things in the building and stuff outside the building that depreciate, but at a faster life, not 27 or 39 years, actually over five years or 15 years. So the only way you can actually depreciate those assets is if you have an engineer, according to the IRS guidelines, it's called the Cost Segregation Audit Techniques Guide, which you can Google if you want to, um, you know, if you have insomnia or something, you want to fall asleep, you can read it. Um, <laughs> You know, it's it's a great way to understand everything there is to know about cost segregation, but basically it's a way to understand why it's so important to have a engineer or a firm like Madison Specs or like many other you know firms that are out there in the country doing this. An engineer has to not just an engineer or a construction professional, someone who has a well-versed in the tax code itself. So it's like the combination of those two, not just an engineer, but the construction background, but the tax knowledge as well, right? What the tax code says about how the property depreciates. And they'll take stuff like in the building, it's called personal property, stuff like, you know, carpeting or uh, fixtures, furniture, appliances, um, you know, wood woodwork, all kinds of things that are in the property, certain types of uh, electrical and plumbing, things like that, that actually are not part of the structure of the building, right? So it doesn't depreciate the same life as the full structure, which has a very long life, things like carpeting and furniture have a much shorter life. So the IRS acknowledged that and says, yeah, these things depreciate over five years. Now, if you can get someone to come in and write down or allocate basically all of those costs, then you can depreciate that amount over a five-year period. Okay. Wow. So it's basically like taking like 20% or 10% or 30%, whatever it is, of the value of that building and front-loading depreciation, that amounts into the first five years. Mm. Dang. Okay, cool. And I think you mentioned yeah. something too about having someone come out there. So this is not Correct. you that can go out and price this stuff, right? You want right. somebody, let's say like a contractor to go out and right. find this stuff for you? Well, actually we have like, that's why I said, we have a full team of engineers that specialize in this, uh, that okay. go through the property and they will assess, they'll basically take a survey of every little detail in the building and outside the building to how much square footage of carpeting there is, you know, how many fixtures, how many, everything, every tiny detail come up with a sum or value of that and then apply the industry standard values of all of those components mm. And then that gets those numbers that depreciate over a faster life. Got it. Okay. Awesome. So, so right. So we're talking about all these different individual <laughs> items. Yeah. That you want to make sure you take advantage of. And this is everything, right? So from light fixtures to sofas, you said, right? To all the everything, different yeah. pieces. That's incredible. Um, so as far as someone going and talking to, um, a specialist or no, not even a specialist, a CPA. This is not something that right. a standard CPA would, would do. Well, that's the thing. It, it's something that a lot of CPAs, especially if they're real estate savvy, mm -hmm. will know about, right? But because the IRS requires someone with engineering background or um, expertise 
to actually perform the study. And we prepare like a hundred page long study, which has all the details and all the sources to the tax code, you know, from that survey. So they, the IRS requires that. So that means, yeah, your CPA will hopefully know about this. Right. And some of the larger firms, like the big four and the top firms in the country are so big, they actually have engineers on staff that do this because they're talking, you know, have large institutional, you know, clients that need this for their, you know, commercial properties, they'll do it in-house. Um, but most accountants cannot do this on their own. They'll need to use a third-party firm like ours or, you know, like you would, you know, speak to your CPA about it and they'll re- maybe recommend someone or, you know, if someone like, you know, like me and you, right, we got in touch and you guys just wanted a contract on a property, right? So you've got to find out what is out there, who are the firms out there that are doing that, and then you can go bring that information, discuss it with your CPA, see if it makes sense for you to do. Okay, cool. So yeah, so there are, like you said, there are very specialized individuals that you need to go or entities that you need to go find with that engineering background that will be able to take care of this for you. Okay. Now that's that's super valuable, super valuable. Guys, make sure you're taking notes, all right, because this stuff will definitely save you money in the long run. So, um, so I just want to ask you a question. Huge amounts of money. Huge, right? Exactly. Huge amounts of money. Yeah. And, and so, and especially with this new tax law, right, where now we have bonus right. depreciation. Does that bonus depreciation count as well towards the items that we're depreciating, you know, via cost segregation? Exactly. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So just to give a back of what bonus depreciation is, and it, it means that anything that depreciates less than 20 years you can now take 100% of that bonus depreciation of that depreciation in year number one, instead of spreading it out. Like we talk about five year, what's called five year property or personal tangible property, like all the fixtures and furniture, the carpeting, et cetera. That's usually over five years. That's included in the bonus depreciation. Also there, I didn't mention, but 15 year property, which means assets depreciate over 15 years, which is usually land improvements. So think about like landscaping or if you have, pavement, right? The amount of pavement that you have, parking spots, right? If you have signage or fencing around the property, even playground equipment or a swimming pool, stuff like that, that amount, that value of that depreciates over 15 years, which is a much faster rate than a 27 or 39 year. So right. you can you can get a lot of that earlier on. So that's also under 20 years. So when you get, uh, it's really combined. Bonus depreciation is like, it's just combined with cost segregation. It's okay. allowing you to, when you segregate out or separate out all those costs and figure out the amounts that you can depreciate faster, instead of spreading it over five or 15 years, you can actually take it all in one, in year number one. Wow. Okay. That's so, yeah. that, so that's amazing. <laughs> that is definitely oh yeah, awesome because you can get all of that back. Now, right. um, are there any benefits for spacing it out? Like, is it, is it better for you as an investor to take all that bonus, all that depreciation out in the first year, or do you think it's wiser to space it out? Well, it really depends. And that's a great question, Mike, because it really depends on everyone's individual situation, right? It may not make sense even to do the cost segregation, because think about it. You're getting, what you're doing is we're accelerating these deductions to get more deductions earlier on. Mm-hmm. as opposed to spreading it all out. So if you don't need extra income tax deductions, let's say you're not making money, let's say your property is you know, vacant or whatever, or you're not making money from it, it doesn't make sense 
to take extra deductions because it's just going to put you in the negative, um, which, you know, is not the end of the world. You don't lose that. Um, it goes in a passive loss, which you can carry forward. You can use that in future years, but it's, you know, it's much wiser to actually plan it strategically so that you're, you know, as close to zero or zero, you know, at zero, but not too much in the, in the red, too, too much in the negative. Because actually having too much negative um, could be like a red flag for the IRS. They may not, you know, see you're uh, taking tremendous amounts of losses. Like, why? Why are you doing that? Right. Okay. Now that makes sense. And so you mentioned about passive loss. I kind of want to, I know uh, when we had Tom Wheelwright on the podcast, we was talking about it a little bit, but I want to kind of deep dive that more too. So, sure. so with the passive loss, how that works, if you do experience loss, say like 10 or 20 grand uh, on paper, right. that carries forward into the next year, you said, right? right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if we don't experience any loss in that next year, we will at least have that that loss that we carried forward with that year. Now, what happens if we do have more loss? Does that loss get carried into the next year or is it Correct. kind of? Yeah. Yeah. At any loss that you have, the passive loss carries forward. I mean, this stays with you, um, you know, forward until you sell the property. So if you, let's say you hold that and you have so big of a loss, you know, or every year you're, you're, you're creating a passive loss, that will move forward with you. It's like an imaginary bank account, right? Okay. That like stores those extra deductions for when you need them, right? It's like, you know, like you get that extra life, right? You get, the, right. you know, the, uh, a video game or whatever, video right? Game. Like, yeah. I got all these taxes I got to pay. Wait a second. I got those passive losses. Let's, let's bring it in, right? Add them in. Okay. Wow. Right. Exactly. So that offsets whatever income you would have um, that can set you back down. When you go and sell the property, actually that whatever's left over that you didn't use yet is released. And now you can use that actually to offset capital gains or to offset um, depreciation, recapture tax and stuff like that. So there is benefit to it, you know, all the way. But again, it's not a great idea to like overextend yourself and take too much. Right. No, that makes sense. And so you said you'll trigger the IRS in that point too, right? So Maybe. I'm not saying you will, but... Not that you will, but you're more likely to maybe experience an audit if you're taking too much loss each year. So it might be, right. Okay. Okay. No, that's that's, that's super valuable because, again, taxes are, is not really um, a strong suit of ours. So we don't have you know many experts that we've been able to talk to about this. This is huge. Um, so do you see people typically um, use cost segregation for single family homes? Or do you more see it for those multifamily properties, whether it's, you know, the smaller multifamilies, like two and maybe 10, or, or is it 50 plus? That you- right. So that's, a, that's actually a really good question as well. We, we usually see, and the truth is, our firm is much more of a commercial real estate firm. Mm-hmm. We have, um, you know, Madison Specs is actually just one division of a larger company. Madison Commercial Real Estate Services, we're a national title agency. We have a 1031 exchange you know, qualifying intermediary company. So we have a bunch of services specifically oriented for commercial real estate. Right. That being said, um, you know, our focus is more on the commercial. And just if you think about it, I'll just give you, um, illustrate an example mm-hmm. of, you know, at what point does it make sense? And I get this question asked a lot. And usually my rule of thumb is I'll say, if a property is purchased for more than a million dollars, 
it usually makes sense because there's enough benefit there. When it's less than that, it's really going to be more of an individual, you know, question. You got to work it out. Um, but that being said, it makes sense. More the more units you have, it's going to make more sense to do. So single families, generally speaking, even if it is worth a million dollars, right? A single family may not get a tremendous amount of benefit. And if you think about it, right? I'll just illustrate for you, right? We're talking about finding all the furniture and all the fixtures, right? Look, that five-year property that we're going to accelerate. So typically on a multifamily property, um, you know, a large multifamily unit, it'll be between, between about 15 and 25% of the, of the basis of that purchase price will be allocated to this five-year category, right? Right. But if you think about a single-family home, right, there's – you know, one sink, okay, there's like one, um, you know, set of security camera or whatever, right? There's like one of everything. Right. Okay, so the value is going to be less. The percentage is going to be much less. Whereas if you have a 100 units, right, you got a 100 sinks. There's more value in the property per um, unit because, you know, we're getting all of that depreciation, pinpointing it on that five-year property. So, Whenever there's more units, there's going to be, generally speaking, more of that five-year property allocated to the cost of the property. Right. Okay. Wow. All right. And so if, let's say, you're budgeting your depreciation, right, because you don't want to take too much mm-hmm. of a loss, um, you know, how does it work where you're, let's say, you were taking <laughs> from units one through 50, right, in one year. Can you just go and take depreciation from units 51 and a hundred later on, like in like two or three years or so, whenever you need it. Yeah. Well, no, actually if the property is purchased at one time, right. right, It's all one depreciation schedule. It has to be depreciated um, equally. Right. So you can, you can choose to do the cost segregation method. You can choose maybe to be more conservative with it. There are actually different ways, um, Without getting too complicated, there's different ways of calculating the depreciation. Okay. It's called double declining balance, 200 declining balance, or 150 declining balance, which basically means you're you know front loading a little bit more into the first uh, year or two um, of depreciation. So there are ways to schedule it so that your depreciation will be more equal um, okay. as much as possible. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. All right. This is, uh, there's so much to it. Yeah, right. It's exactly. So, so if, uh, so if I'm a client, right, let's say I'm going up to your company, sir. And, um, and I know like nothing about it. What questions do you recommend that someone should ask, you know, going and, and I guess just coming up to you for the first time? Yeah. Well, the, you know, the great thing, um, that we'll do, and I'll kind of flip the script, right? Which is that, you know, there are questions that you should ask, but the first thing is, right, you want to find out, you know, is this going to be beneficial for me, right? You can learn all about it, right? You can read books, you can listen to this podcast, you can listen to whatever, you know, read articles about it, but at the end of the day, is it going to be beneficial for me, right? Am I going to get anything out of it? Right. So what we do as a, a service, as a free complimentary service, is we'll run a free estimate, which is like a, an analysis of 
the property, the depreciation, what it will look like if you do run a full cost segregation study, what that will look like versus, and we'll show it on the same page, versus if you just did the straight line regular depreciation. So you can actually compare apples to apples and you can see, hey, you know, do I need all these extra deductions? The great thing about cost segregation is, um, and one question I would ask, which is kind of segueing into what you, what you mentioned is, you know, are you a real estate investor? Are you a real estate professional? Mm. Okay. And on that being said, not just are you a real estate professional by the IRS terms, which maybe I'll touch on in a second, but are you planning on continually investing or are you just going to buy one property and that's it? And hold it out. Right. Okay. So if you're going to buy one property and hold it out, it may make sense to just keep it balanced, right? You may not need those extra deductions early on. You might just want to keep it balanced throughout the life of ownership. But if your plan is to purchase more than one property in the, you know, next year or year after, what have you. So what do you care about more than anything when you want to purchase a property? What do you need to buy a property? You need capital. You need capital, right? You need right. cash, my friend. So if the IRS is telling you, hey, guess what? You can, you know, you owe us all this money, taxes, right? Because you made this income, you got to pay income tax. Guess what? Here's a way that you actually don't have to pay us right now, right? Keep it. Keep the money you made, right? Don't pay us, right? Like, pay us later, right? It's like like an interest-free loan, right? Like, think about it. So, yeah, if I'm buying another property next year or the year after, so I may be taking extra deductions now, right. which maybe in a few years from now, I'll have less deductions, but from the second property, I'll have more deductions then, and then it'll balance it out constantly to the point where, you know, you have people like, you know, people who are really, really doing real estate right are not paying taxes. They're not paying income tax legally. Why? Because they're getting those extra depreciation deductions, making sure that they're constantly keeping their tax liability to zero. Awesome. Wow. Yona, this is amazing. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of awesome information here. And, uh, and guys, I really hope that you guys are taking notes because this is super valuable. Um, okay, cool. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm like, my head is like swarming right now because it's, <laughs> this is so, so valuable. Um, and I don't even know where to go, <laughs> where to go next. So, okay. So if I am a professional investor, right? So we'll go right off of that scenario that you painted for us. And so my plan is to buy more and more properties each year. You know, I want to take up as much uh, cost segregation up front as I can, you know, because each one will kind of offset it to the the next year. Now, what happens when I stop or if I have to stop for any reason? Like, let's say the downturn comes, I run out of capital and... Uh, I don't have any more investors to back me or whatever, right? I just go right. through a two or three year hiatus. Now, what happens at that point? Just the losses keep carrying forward or is there anything that I need to worry about at that point? Or do I need to right. so, switch strategies or something? Absolutely, right. There, there could, and there are multiple strategies. And one thing you may be familiar with is something called a 1031 exchange, mm-hmm. right? Which, um, let me back up a second. When... When you sell a property, and this is very important to know, when you sell a property, the IRS hits you with an extra tax, right? Besides for capital gains tax, which we all know about, there's something called depreciation recapture tax, 
Oh, wow. Which means, yeah, which means that when you sell a property, you have to now pay a tax on the amount of depreciation you took over the course of ownership of that property. So, So depreciation isn't like, you know, just this free gift. Totally. I mean, it can be, and there are definitely ways to make sure that it is and you're maximizing it. Right. But, you know, it comes with a, you know, a caveat. It comes with the fact that when you sell that property, now you have to pay a tax on that amount. Now, the tax you're going to pay is going to be less than had you not done depreciation, had you not taken extra depreciation in the beginning. So you already have the, you know, the, the spread of whatever, you know, I made now, what I would have paid now as opposed to paying it later. So that's basically finance 101, right? Time value of money, right? If I have, I'd rather have the money now in my pocket to use and spend and invest and make money with that money than have that money five years from now, which who knows what's going to be with inflation. And, you know, there's a lot of factors to be considered. Appreciation recapture tax is a bummer, right? You know, but you got to face it. Well, one way to get around that is by doing a 1031 exchange, qualified exchange, where you can sell a property and instead of buying a new property, you're basically exchanging into a second property. By doing that, you can defer your capital gains tax from the sale and you defer that depreciation recapture tax as well. So you basically, that's one strategy to, right. to keep it moving forward. Um you know, there's a new strategy that people have the opportunity zones, which is a brand new tax law, which right. we're still trying to figure out. We're still trying to get, um, you know, real legislation on it because it's still a bit, um, even though it was passed over a year ago, like the IRS still has not given like guidelines, um, clear cut guidelines, at least they kind of ambiguous guidelines, but, right, you know, some people will interpret it like this and some people interpret it like that you kind of just got to do whatever you know see what you can do exactly until you give the <laughs> okay so, yeah, so that's that's something to be said awesome no that they, i appreciate that um you mentioned about um uh so depreciation recapture tax which i mean it's it's crazy because now you're getting a tax on that other on that depreciation that you've already taken. So I mean, it really just reinforces that whole point that when you buy properties, you really want to hold them. You want to hold them for the long term because you know when you sell, you know, is is there any expiration on that recapture tax? Like, let's say if I held the property for twenty or thirty years, maybe pass it on to my kids at that point. You know, does right. it does it? kind of go away or is it still something that will come back to haunt you whenever you do decide to sell? No, it actually, it will go away after that point. Um, okay. And, you know, if a person passes it on to his children, um, when, a, when a person dies, right, which is actually, you know, yeah, we, you so know, old. think about death as like this way, you know, way, way in the future. But, you know, you, know, you never know. Never but know. Life is short. Let's right. face it. Life is short. I mean, you, you probably... I have much more than most people or your listeners, right, can can relate to this because being on active duty, right, you're faced with death. I mean, it's a it's a fact of life, unfortunately, that you know too many of us face. Um, but that being said, when a person passes on, the properties that they own are now given to their inheritor, bequeathed to their children, and there's an amazing tax thing that happens. 
right? Which is that it now gets a new basis, right? We talked about the basis of the property, depreciation of the property based on the purchase price. Let's say you bought a property 10 years ago for $50,000, right? Right. Now, 30 years from now, right, when a guy dies and now that property is worth, right, $5 million, okay? Now, 30 years passed and he depreciated the whole thing, right? There's nothing left of the depreciation. But now when he passes it on to his children, the children get a new basis. It's called a step up in basis. It's like as if they purchased it for the fair market value. So now they get this property and they get depreciation on $5 million basis. So that's a really cool thing that happens. But when a, if a person were to just gift, gift the property to their children, before they die, right? Don't do that <laughs> because okay. you miss out on this whole this whole thing, right? Right. When you get there's also gift tax, right? Okay, there's inheritance tax as well, but it's not the same as if, you know the gift tax and and the depreciation that's missed out on. Right. Okay. That is awesome, and and that's amazing, right? So it gets so that depreciation gets eliminated. You can depreciate it at a new step up, and right. Yeah, and it gets transfers over. That's amazing, guys. So make sure that you guys are, are taking notes at this. And seriously, make sure you contact Yoda because <laughs> that is awesome. Matter of fact, sir, you and me are definitely going to talk. <laughs> after okay. that and done. Let me let me just uh, we, we we spoke very briefly about what a real estate professional, a real full time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, we got to go into that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just want to touch on that because it's a really important point. The IRS actually makes a distinction. It makes a definition. And actually just post, I'm very active on LinkedIn, right? So if you're on LinkedIn, um, definitely find me and connect with me over there. But I post pretty regularly on there. I find that's like the best platform for me. I'm not really so much on so many other social media channels. Right. But LinkedIn, for whatever reason, like speaks to me. I have a great... Anyways, I posted yesterday this great kind of quote from... I don't know if you remember Animal Farm. He had to read that in high school. George Orwell. I think everyone in the world had to read that in high school, right? Right. (laughs) Um, so he's got this great quote, right? That all animals are created equal, right? But some are more equal than others. <laughs> so I, so I kind of put a play on words yesterday. I just like made this post and check it out afterwards that all taxpayers are, are created equal, right? But some taxpayers are more equal than others, right? Nice. And the real estate professional is that. And there's an unbelievable tax advantage that someone who is a real estate professional has. And that is you can use depreciation or these passive deductions that we're talking about, cost segregation, to offset all of your income, your passive income and your active income. Whereas someone who's not a full-time real estate professional, according to the IRS, you can only use those depreciation deductions to offset the passive income. So meaning the income generated from the real estate. Right. So what exactly do people need to do to qualify as a real estate professional? Because I know there's a lot of ambiguity regarding that. So there's basically two rules and that's it. There's two rules. Number one, and the two rules apply to either you or your spouse. So only one of you needs to qualify for this to take advantage of this. If you're filing jointly. Okay. So this is very important. Either you or your spouse. You have to have two qualifications. Number one is that you spend more than 50% of your time in real estate, materially in real estate business. 
right? So we'll define that in a second, what that means, what's real estate business, but more than 50% of your time. The second qualification is it has to be at least 750 hours a year of material work, right? That you have to track, you have to actually prove that you're involved in this. So think about it, 750 hours a year basically breaks down and do the math to about 15, 16 hours a week. Okay. It's not a lot of time. Okay. But it also doesn't mean that you can just retire and do nothing. Um, if you want this status, right. You definitely so those things involve, that. right. Not just uh, buying and selling real estate brokering. If you're a real estate broker, right. Or you're involved in construction, or you're in some other real estate business that you actually own a portion of the business or a portion of the real estate. Right. Managing, um, redeveloping, property managing, right? Developing, um, constructing, rehabbing, all of these things, those hours count towards this status. So if you have, even if you have a W2 job, right? Which, you know, you're going to be talking about a large amount of hours, right? Talking about, 1800 hours a year, right? It's a lot, 40 hours a week, let's say, right? 30 about 40 hours a week, you're working a good job. It's possible, it's not easy, right? It's not easy, but it's possible to still qualify for this status because if you work more than 40 hours, more than 50% of your time in those real estate activities, and I have a client who does, owns like 30 properties, and he manages them all, and he does the renovations himself. And he spends his whole weekends, you know, nights and weekends, you know, involved. And he can track his calls and track everything. So, yeah, I'm involved in these properties, right? He's a man. So what does that do? That can offset all of his W-2 income, right? He's paying no income tax on that either to get those deductions wow. oh um, if he gets those extra deductions. That is awesome. Oh, my goodness. So, and, and, then, and I just want to kind of highlight a point here just to make it relevant to the audience. Guys, if your spouse is at home and works from home and you're buying properties in your area, you know, if if he or she is able to manage it, you know, from home, that's a perfect segue into into something like this, right? Um, or even, you know, being a realtor, right? Because you said it's not just buying and selling, but you know, if you're constantly driving around, going and showing properties, all that, it can count towards towards that, right? So, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, this is a perfect, perfect opportunity uh, for some spouses that decide they want to work from home. Uh, they can use it to offset your W-2 income, which is really cool, you know, and exactly. then you get that depreciation uh, bonus as well there. So, wow. Yona, this is amazing. I, I feel like we can continue this on and on. This is <laughs> absolutely amazing, but, but I, we are running out of time. So I got to bring you into our bonus round. Um, but we'd honestly love to have you on the podcast again so to discuss some more stuff. <laughs> um, so last three questions, and this is just so our audience to kind of get to know a little bit more about you, but uh, what is your favorite book? Uh, my favorite book, I study the Bible constantly and really Jewish texts. I'm a very religious Jewish person, so I study Jewish texts every day, awesome. and I spent through like 15 years full-time, like 18 hours a day, like studying stuff. So I'm very deeply involved in, in okay. many texts, the Talmud, the Bible, and all that, all that good stuff. Wow. All right. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> all right. Good to go. That is amazing. Um, for the next question, who's your biggest hero and why? Um, my biggest hero, you know, I, I've actually been on a few podcasts and the same question is asked and I give a different answer every time because... <laughs> 
you know, it really makes you step back and think, right? Who is your, and really many people can have a different effect on you for many different reasons. So today I'm just like, what came to mind right now is actually my, uh, my spiritual mentor. I've never actually said that he is my hero because um, obviously that goes without saying, right? But because right. he's given me so much over the past 20 years of my life, a tremendous amount of guidance, um, both in the material world and the spiritual endeavors. So I just like to mention him. He's, uh, he's an amazing person. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, that sounds solid and must be amazing because you are definitely a stand up guy. So that sounds cool. <laughs> Um, last question. If you had three nuggets of wisdom to offer to those that are just getting started in this world, what, uh, what would you mention? Number one, be humble, right? Uh, a humble person is someone who can learn from anyone. Okay. If you think you already know something, there's not a way to, to really learn more. So you have to have humility to, to learn and admit that you don't know something, right? That's, that's, that's number one. Right. Um, because real estate is in, like in anything, but real estate, especially there's so much knowledge that it takes to really be good at it, to really excel. And you just got to constantly be learning and learning from others. Um, something that I just, uh, you know, and really this goes along with, with the same thing. Um, apprentice, apprentice, spend time, even if it's not paid time, like, you know, whether, you know, you consider that an internship or not, doesn't matter. Like apprentice, give your time over to someone who is much better, has a lot of experience in this. So you can learn from them hand in hand, you know, on a daily basis to learn from someone who's already doing what you aspire to do. Right. As to find someone you can apprentice under. Um, and the third piece of information, um, and I, I just to go back on that second one, you know, I saw a great quote recently, which is that, you know, when you're, if you cheat on, um, you know, if you copy someone's test in high school or college or whatever on test, right, it's, you know, it's unethical, right, if you're right. copying someone. But if you copy someone in business, right, you're, <laughs> you copy someone in profession, right. right, you're considered, you're considered successful, right? It's so crazy. Because... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's more about what you can do, right? And, and how you can further grow yourself and your business. So that's number two. Number three, I would say um, a nugget of advice. Uh, I mean, I guess it's cliche, but like you got to work hard, <laughs> right? Yep. Oh, that's it. Nothing comes for free. Nothing, Nothing comes, comes for free. Nothing. Right. And if it, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. <laughs> right or you, or you should do some more digging to make sure that yeah. it's absolutely legit because it might also be illegal <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> all right all right yona thank you so much for your time this was absolutely amazing um i definitely am excited to get you back on the podcast if that's something you'd love to do um but thanks so much Mike. but where can our uh, where can our folks get in contact with you um, you can reach me on LinkedIn. Like I said, I'm very active on bigger pockets as well, which is a great forum for real estate investors. Um, you can reach me directly at email, I guess, yweiss at madisonspecs.com. That's a great way to reach me. Um, yeah, feel free to you know reach out anytime. Like I mentioned, we give a free estimate. 
uh, which you, on your property. So you can see the numbers. Does this make sense for your situation to do a cost irrigation um, or not? And that's pretty, it's pretty much a no brainer. You know, once you have those numbers in front of you, either does or it doesn't make sense. So that's pretty cool. Awesome. No, that sounds great. Guys, make sure that you go and take advantage of, uh, of the service. It sounds amazing. And uh, like I said, sir, we will definitely be talking after this. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you so much again for your time. And uh, we really appreciate it. It's take been care. a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Wow, that was absolutely incredible. I'm honestly not even sure I can fully comprehend everything that I just consumed that day. But hey, you know what? Listen, that's exactly why we're hungry for this information. We go out there, we do the research, we get educated, we network, and we take action. That's right. All right, guys. Make sure you guys are going out there. And if you need to listen to this podcast two, three, four, five times, then do it. Hey, that's what it's here for. You can constantly go back and listen to it. And it's free. Yeah? Can't beat that. Anyway, thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much, Yona, for coming on to the show. Make sure that you guys go ahead and subscribe. Because if you don't, you're going to miss awesome folks that are coming on the podcast. All right? Hey, and if you're ready to take action, make sure that you hit up www.activedutypassiveincome.com to find out how you can grab your first turnkey or how you can get involved in one of our many mentoring programs. It's going to be great. All right, I'm out of here. 